here we (laughs) go. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I'm your co-host, Austin. And before we get started, we have to talk about our very first live show. It was last week. It was amazing. Booming. So we had our very first live show. We sold out 150 tickets in our hometown of St. Joseph, Missouri. That's right. Um, and it was so good. We, I mean, I feel like we just need to dedicate maybe like a mom a minute to talk about just this for those that actually do want to hear about it. But I thought that's what we were doing. Well, I don't know that everyone wants to hear about it. A lot of people listen and they're like, just get to the story already. So I like to keep this short, you know, this intro short. So we're front-loading what could be a whole mama minute before an episode. Yeah. You know, and then if you're interested, you can go listen to it. And if not, like we're going to get started here in a a second. Do you understand? Wow. Yes, I get it. (laughs) Anyway, the show was amazing. Thank you so much to everyone that came out. It was a core memory for me. I will never forget that night. It was so fun. And I can't wait to do more. We're going to do another one and we'll announce the date of that pretty soon. But as far as going other locations, um, I do want to figure out a way to do that because it was so fun. It was a lot of fun. We made people laugh, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. I was not expecting that because when you do a podcast, you might think you're funny, but you're not hearing anybody's reaction on the other side. And there were moments that they would laugh at just our expressions even. And I was like, oh man, are we funny? We're a little funny. We're funny. funny. (laughs) We're funny. We were funny. Um, Anyway, we talked about the Carly Russell case. That was a doozy. You know, we'll just do kind of like a recap in a mama minute um, in a few days, probably, maybe. I might just have to do it myself because Austin's a busy man. But I'll talk about the case that we covered. Um, We talked about the Whitaker family and Carly Russell. So anyway... That being said, that being said, are you ready to get into today's story? Let's get into the show, Kelly. Okay. November 17th, 2009 was Ann Hook's birthday. It was supposed to be a joyous event, a simple celebration with her friends in the quaint town of Belleville, Ontario. Her best friend, Howard Gray, lived nearby and was happy to host a get-together at his house in her honor. And as she was getting ready, she was checking her reflection in the mirror and something caught her eye. In her reflection, she noticed that the drawer of her nightstand behind her was pulled open. So she turned around to look and then she checked the other nightstand and the drawer was pulled open on that one as well. A chill ran down her spine when she realized things were missing from her drawer, notably her sex toys. Oh, that was a curveball. Well, initially she thought maybe it was a prank by her bestie Howard. So she got into her car and drove the 200 yards to his house and bewildered. He assured her it was not him. So he insisted that they go back together to check the place out. So as they stood in her kitchen, they wrestled with the decision to call the police or not, not because of the embarrassment of having to call and say, yeah, someone came and stole my sex toys, but because they didn't know if they were going to be taken seriously. So ultimately, they decided not to call 911, but just to be safe, she ended up going to Howard's to spend the night. So the next morning, they returned to Anne's house. I couldn't imagine not calling 911 over it. Honestly, I can't either. And I, I can understand like anticipating what kind of reaction you're going to get and assuming that you might not be taken seriously. But I guess you wouldn't have to mention that it was sex toys. You could just say, hey, someone broke into my house and I need someone to come check it out. Right. 
Because that clearly somebody did. To not call is strange. Yeah. But either way, the next morning, they returned to Anne's house. Anne went upstairs while Howard hung out in the kitchen until he heard Anne scream. He ran up to meet her and found her in her office. Her face was pale. Her gaze was locked on her computer screen, which was ominously illuminated with the message that read, Go ahead and call the police. I want to show the judge your really big dildos. And your was spelled Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. Wrong your. Which I think might have been something that was done intentionally to thwart attention away from who he actually is. Like, I think it was someone who was actually smart and was trying to make it seem like it wasn't him. Does that make sense? Yeah, or it was just an idiot. Or that too. But, you know, I know this story, so we'll just continue. Deal. The poorly written sentence sent this wave of revulsion and terror through both of them. They called the police at that point, and as they waited, they came to the unsettling realization that before they left, they made sure to lock every door in the house the night before. But when they were standing there, they realized that one of the doors to outside was unlocked, indicating, Austin, someone let themselves out. And the terror they were feeling was now more palpable than ever as they understood the intruder had been inside the house with them the entire time. I got the goosebumps when you said that. Did you get the goosebumps? You wrote the story. I got the goosebumps. Yeah. Anyway, unknown to Anne, just two months prior, a woman in Tweed reported a break-in and a sexual assault that took place after she fell fell asleep on her couch while watching Law & Order. Now, I remember when I was in college, I would fall asleep watching Nancy Grace and I would wake up to having a nightmare. And I can't even imagine something like this where you wake up after watching a crime show and you see an actual person and it's like, is this a nightmare or am I, is this real? Like, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine that. But anyway, she was awoken by a man hitting her repeatedly on the head. And after a 20 minute struggle, she was blindfolded and told that if she would just cooperate, he wouldn't rape or kill her. He just wanted to take some pictures. The details were eerily similar to another incident that took place just two weeks prior to that on September 14th of 2009. This is the night that he attacked another woman in the same manner and then told her to count to 300 after he left before she called the police. I guess he knew he was that she was going to and just said, count to 300 before you do anything. Weird. So the city of Tweed is not far from Belleville. It's only about 30 minutes away. And it was in Tweed that there were more than a dozen other break-ins reported, and they all shared a common theme. The intruder would break in, steal women's underwear from their drawers. In two of those incidents, the intruder broke in when the female resident was home alone, and he blindfolded the women, forced them to put on provocative outfits or lingerie. He would then take pictures of them and then leave. But it Man. was clear that this intruder was watching these women. He knew their habits. He knew that they were going to be home alone and when and for how long. In one of those homes, uh, Brian and Brenda Constantine had a daughter and at one point, she noticed that all of her underwear and bathing suits had been taken, and then photos from a photo album with pictures of her in bathing suits on the beach were taken as well. That's freaking weird. Yeah. On her dresser, DNA was collected from dried semen. 
that the intruder left behind. Freaking fruitcake weirdo. So obviously, you know, the parents were sick to their stomach over this, and she was too. She started sleeping in the guest room while while the light was still on because she was so terrified that this person was going to come back. And the police even told her that she had been targeted. So now her and everyone else is living in this constant fear that there's this like serial panty thief on the loose. And obviously he likes younger girls. Creepy. Dirt bag. Well, back in Belleville, Corporal Marie France Como had just returned from a trip when she noticed that someone had gone through her underwear at her house while she was gone. Initially, she blamed her ex-boyfriend, Alan Plant. Alan and Marie had both come from military families, and they worked in the military at the same time. They dated for about four years before they broke up, and then she moved to the area of Brighton, which is about 30 minutes from Belleville. She continued working for the military as a traffic tech, but when she noticed that her drawers had been tampered with, her first inclination was that it was the work of her ex-boyfriend, but he vehemently denied it. Now, unbeknownst to Marie, the intruder didn't only rummage through her underwear, he put it on and then took pictures of himself in the underwear and then with the sex toys in the underwear as well. He also confirmed that she did, in fact, live alone, so he made plans to return the following week. On the night of November 25th of 2009, the intruder listened outside her home while Marie spoke on the phone. He snuck into her house through a basement window and then waited until she fell asleep. Fucking weirdo. It's so creepy to think about somebody sitting outside somebody's window and listening and watching and timing their lifestyle and sneaking in a basement window when they fall asleep. Like it's, it's even stranger than somebody just breaking in a house, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because in, in most cases, someone burglarizes a house to steal things, to steal valuables, right? It's very rare that someone does this just to be... To target a human. Yeah, but... Like the human's personal items, like very specific, intimate things. It's creepy. Very creepy. It actually reminds me of BTK. He had a lot of the same tendencies to kind of stalk in a way, like his prey is, I think, one Mm -hmm. of the ways that he referred to it. But he would case these houses and like learn their habits. That was one of the craziest episodes because everybody and their brother obviously knows that it is and I didn't. Mm -hmm. Shocking. That episode was nuts, and it ended up being this old dude that goes to church and, like, has this complete separate life. Mm-hmm. A double Weird. life. Yeah. So, anyway, he thought he was waiting until she fell asleep, but before she went to bed, she went to retrieve one of her cats who had gone down into the basement where he was. When she found the cat, she found this masked man sitting there staring back at her. Oh, weird. In that moment, they both panicked, but the intruder took a large red flashlight and struck Marie multiple times, rendering her unconscious. He then tied her to a post and took pictures of her with nothing but a shawl covering her body. And after he made sure that she was secured, he checked the rest of the house to make sure nobody else was there. Then he brought Marie back up to her bedroom where he videotaped himself raping her repeatedly for two hours. Now, at some point she woke up and it can be heard on the tape that is not available to anybody. This was destroyed. This is just coming from court transcripts that describe the tape. But 
In the video, she could be heard begging him to untie her hands and promised that she wouldn't go anywhere. She begged him not to kill her, saying, quote, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't deserve to die. And it was then that the intruder put a pillow over her face and attempted to suffocate her, but she fought back despite already having duct tape over her eyes and her mouth. And she was able to escape only for a moment before the intruder caught her again and then suffocated her to death. Mm. After she died, he continued taking pictures of her, and then he put her back in her bed, covered her with a blanket, stole all of her underwear, and left through her back patio doors. Her body was discovered by her ex-boyfriend the following day after she failed to show up to a dinner date that they had planned. Two months later, on January 29th of 2010, Jessica Lloyd was late for work as a school bus coordinator, and she had never just not called or not shown up for work. So her supervisor called her mom to make sure Jessica was okay. Her mom called her brother Andy to see if he would go with her to Jess's house to check on her. Andy and Jess were super close. They had a quick wit with each other, and they had the type of relationship that even the best of friends would envy. They'd play Guitar Hero together. They had parties together. They had a lot of the same friends. Jess had a lot of friends, but Jess remained single and very independent. So when Andy and his mom went to Jessica's house right outside outside of Belleville, nothing seemed to be amiss at first. Her house was neat and tidy. Her bed was still made, but her purse, keys, and other belongings were still there. There was just no sign of Jessica. So they called the police, and when the police arrived, they all noticed footprints that were left in the snow. And there were two sets of footprints indicating that somebody walked to the house and then two sets walked out. So she must have been one of those footprints. Mm -hmm. There were also tire tracks in the field behind her house, and the impression of the tires were examined. So police were able to determine that the brand of the tires were Toyo, And the wheelbase was limited to three types of SUVs, a Toyota 4Runner, a Jeep Cherokee, or a Nissan Pathfinder. So when a week had gone by and there was still no sign of Jessica, police in Belleville set up a checkpoint where they just started stopping vehicles passing through the area. And one officer would speak to the driver while a second officer would then examine the tires. So during this checkpoint, a Nissan Pathfinder with Toyo tires passed through. But the driver of the Pathfinder threw the officers through a huge loop. Working from home this summer has been such a blessing. Getting to stay home with the kids while I work has had its challenges, but it's also been such a relief to keep them home and make memories here on a daily basis. School is about to start back up, and while I'm looking forward to having structure and routine back in our lives, I will definitely miss them when they go back. And it really just got me thinking, there's so many people I know that homeschool or you know do the virtual learning, and I thought, I wish there was a way that I could just keep them at home, but keep them in school. And that's why I'm so grateful I discovered k12.com. As a parent, you want to set your kids up for success, and that starts with empowering them to learn in ways that are best for them. K-12-powered schools can help your child start reaching their full potential in life now and give you the support you need to get them there. K-12-powered schools are tuition-free, 
online accredited public schools for kindergarten through 12th grade. And they're designed to help your children learn at their own pace in their own home with an engaging curriculum that supports individual learning styles. This is different from homeschool where you are responsible for teaching them. Although I did notice that they do have homeschooled programs on that site, but the K-12 powered schools, their teachers are state certified and are trained online educators. They utilize hands-on innovative technology and make learning interactive. And they even offer social opportunities, extracurricular activities, and in-person events. With over 20 years of experience helping students gain the skills they truly need to thrive in the future, it could be perfect for your child too. Join the more than 2 million families who have been served by K-12 and empower your student to reach their full potential now. Go to k12.com slash mama mystery today to learn more and find a tuition free K 12 powered school near you. That's the letter K, the number 12.com slash mama mystery. K12.com slash mama mystery. Russell Williams was born on March 7th of 1963 in Bromsgrove, England. Following his birth, Russell's family moved to the small village of Chalk River, Ontario, Canada, where his father, a metallurgist, <laughs> this is a really hard word to say, and I have been struggling with it ever since I wrote this episode, a metallurgist. Metallurgist. Yeah. Do you know what that is? No idea. It's someone who works with metals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> metallurgist. Go ahead. He's a, a metallurgist. metallurgist. Anyway, his dad obtained a position at Canada's leading nuclear research laboratory. And it was in Ontario that his family met the Sovkis family and they became very close. However, his parents' marriage ended in divorce. I'm not going to lie. You <laughs> left us this crazy hook. He threw the officer for a loop and I'm sitting here wondering what the hell happened. I get you're probably about to get to it, but get to it. Okay. So we're talking about a man named Russell Williams. Yes. Okay. So Russell's parents divorced. We're just going to get right back on track and you're just going to have to listen. Okay. Okay. So his parents divorced and then Russell's mother remarried none other than Dr. Safka, the, the father of the family they grew so close to. Anyway, this led the family to move to the Toronto area due to Safka's new job with Ontario Hydro, and Russell took his new stepfather's last name. So as a student, Russell was very particular. He was very studious, and he displayed exceptional skill as a trumpet player. He also learned how to play the piano. Babe, you got to tell me what happened with the stop. <laughs> You went on about Russell's from on wherever he's from and his dad brought divorced so-and-so for Dr. Seuss. And I want to know what happened at the stop. Austin, nothing happened at the stop. It's about who the driver of that vehicle is. And I'm telling you about who the driver was. Oh, you said this guy threw the cops for a big loop. And if you continue listening, you'll find out what the loop <laughs> okay, is. Okay, I'm sorry, everybody. Okay. I'm wondering if people yeah. could relate to me on that or if I was that far off. Well, I guess they'll let us know either yeah. in a one-star review or a comment. We love a five-star. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, so he finished high school at the Upper Canada College, which is Ontario's most elite boys' school. This school is widely known as Ontario's most prestigious prep school, and it has produced a long list of notable figures in law, medicine, visual arts, writing, and more. Okay, so he went to the 
the best possible school. Cream of the crop. Yes. His roommates at this boarding school remembered just how particular he was. For example, at the end of the night, he would meticulously count his change to calculate down to the penny exactly what he spent that day. Every night he would do that. And then when his girlfriend in college dumped him, he watched Top Gun repeatedly over and over and over, which is a movie about this U.S. Navy pilot. And it's, you know, part of his story is winning over this love interest who initially turned him down. So maybe he was trying to take notes on how to get this girl back. But his propensity for attention to detail and discipline earned him leadership roles during his final year at Upper Canada College in 1982. His peers chose him as a captain for his boarding house, indicating their respect and their trust in Russell. While studying politics and economics at college, this is about in the mid-1980s, he experienced his first taste of flying. Following his graduation in the late 80s, Russell joined the armed forces and started his military career as a pilot instructor in Port La Prairie, Manitoba. In 1990, he received his flying wings at the age of 27 and married his wife, Mary Elizabeth Harriman, the following year. Mary was the associate director of the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada, and together they loved to be outdoors, fishing, camping, and golfing. In 2006, the couple moved to a suburb of Ottawa, and Russell was posted to the Directorate of Air Requirements, where he served as a project director on multiple projects. He worked his way up within the military and developed a reputation for being professional and dedicated, and he piloted planes for dignitaries, including the late Queen of England and the Duke of Edinburgh, as well as the Canadian Prime Minister. It's pretty crazy. He's flying around these very important people. They don't just choose anybody for that. I'm trying to paint a picture for you about how important he was in the military and the role he played within the military. Yeah, that makes sense. So by 2009, he was sworn in as the wing commander at CFB in Trenton, where Marie France Como worked as a traffic tech. Now, unbeknownst to his colleagues, his subordinates, and even his wife, Russell was leading a complete double life. In 2007, he began a series of break-ins, primarily in Tweed, where he had a second home with his wife. The break-ins escalated in seriousness over time, and many of them involved the theft of women's underwear. This man would break in, set up his camera, and take photos of himself wearing the underwear. And I have the pictures I'm going to post them to Instagram so you can see them for yourself. But what I think is the most interesting besides the fact that it's this hairy man in women's underwear is the fact that he poses the exact same way in every single picture. Like when it's from the back, it's his back with his head turned to the right. And when he is looking at it from the front, he's just straight front on. He's perfectly centered. Like it's eerie how How similar each picture is. It's very particular attention to detail. And he's, and he's posing in women's underwear. Yes. He's taking their underwear and putting it on and then taking pictures of himself in the underwear inside their homes. It's freaking weird. By 2009, the crimes escalated to sexual assaults. Two women in the Tweed area were attacked in their homes. Both survived and provided descriptions of their attacker. But initially, they went after one of the girl's neighbors who was completely innocent. But this ruined this man's reputation and left yet another victim in Russell's wake. 
and his depravity continued to grow. And by the following year, two other women, Corporal Marie France Como and Jessica Lloyd, were murdered. So on February 7th of 2010, Russell was at his newly built home in Ottawa with his wife when he got a call from the Ottawa Police Department asking him to come in for questioning. He arrived at around 3 p.m. that day, and when he walked in, he carried with him this air of confidence. And I've watched the interrogation tapes, and it's very interesting because you know this man is very successful in his career, and he has the ego and the arrogance to show for it. So he's walking into this room. You can tell by the smug look on his face that he's like, this is just going to be a waste of everyone's time, and like I'll be out of here in no time. And mm-hmm. The detective who was interrogating him, though, first introduces himself and calls Russell just by his name. He doesn't call him like corporal or whatever, like whatever his title is. He just calls him by his name. He asks these questions that like lead into the next question. He is playing chess with Russell, like mental chess with Russell. And it's so fascinating to watch because by 745, so literally not even five hours later, Russell knew he was done. Detective Staff Sergeant James Smith presented Russell with a lot of evidence, and there was no way that by the questions he had answered prior, he could answer his way out of these. Wow, that's wild. So if you want to watch the entire interrogation tapes, they're on YouTube, and they are super interesting. And obviously, I can't really include a videotape on a podcast, but it's important to see the way he behaves Versus the things that he's saying in these um, interrogations. But anyway, the detective presents him with all of this evidence linking the tire treads that he has admitted are on his vehicle at Jessica Lloyd's house. And when he was asked where Jessica's body was, he responded with three words, got a map. He pointed to where Jessica's body could be found and she was found the next day. And after confessing to Jessica's murder, he also confessed to dozens of other crimes, including breaking and entering, sexual assault, as well as Marie uh, France Como's murder. He told them where they could find his personal photos or artifacts from the crimes in hopes that it would prevent cops from tearing apart the new house that he and his wife had just built. And at one point during the interrogation, he even says that he's worried about what this is going to do to his wife. So he had all this stuff hidden in his house somewhere. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine his wife stumbling upon those pictures and being like, what the what fuck is, is this? What's going on? That would be horrifying. What we, I mean, you wouldn't even be able to have a conversation about it. Like, no, what no. What would you do if you came across pictures of your husband dressed in somebody's random house in their in women's underwear in the same poses times 50? And you can tell that he took these pictures while you were married. Like he looks exactly like he did the day before. What did he so even say weird. Yeah. So two months after he confessed on Easter weekend, actually, Russell attempted suicide by shoving a stuffed toilet paper roll down his throat. But thankfully, guards caught him in time to take it take out the roll, and he survived before he was placed on suicide watch. I've never heard. I was just gonna say that's the strangest that. way to ever kill yourself. This dude's just a fucking weird dude. Yeah. So in October of 2010, Russell Williams pleaded guilty to all of the charges against him, but more details came out that just added to the shock of his crimes. 
During one of his break-ins, he attacked a young mom while she and her baby were asleep in her house. On other occasions, he was taking the underwear of children as young as nine years old. During another break-in, he broke into the bedroom of a 12-year-old girl, stole her underwear, and left a message on her computer that read merci, which is thank you in French. It's honestly shocking to think about this highly decorated military officer committing such bizarre and increasingly heinous crimes. And I think it fascinates people in the true crime community because this is the archetype of someone living a secretive double life, Mm -hmm. the type of person that you might even look up to. You know, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's someone you work with that you think very highly of, but behind, behind closed doors, he's taking pictures of himself in women's lingerie and attacking unsuspecting women. Stealing underwear from kids. Yes. So strange. Like the double life, yes, is is bonkers. Mm-hmm. So Russell Williams was sentenced to two terms of life in prison with no possibility of, of parole for 25 years. And he was also sentenced for the break-ins and sexual assaults. Following his conviction, he was stripped of his military rank and medals, and his commission was finally, or I'm sorry, officially revoked by the Governor General of Canada. His uniform and insignia was all burned and cut into pieces. Um, his commission scroll was actually shredded, and his Nissan Pathfinder was scrapped for parts. His whole identity. Mm-hmm. Everything that he had built aside from this weird, psychotic, and disturbing life, everything that he built was destroyed, as Mm -hmm. it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, He remains incarcerated in the Port Cartier Institution, which is a maximum security prison in Quebec, which also houses Luca Magnata, who is the subject of our next episode, which will air next Friday. Interesting. So this case, Luca Bignata, the one that we're going to cover next, um, he is the subject of the documentary on Netflix, Don't Fuck With Cats. It's like a six-part documentary series. Which I've watched that. You have watched it? I I didn't think you had watched it. I watched like probably four episodes with you. Okay, so you don't know what happens then. I don't think so, no, but I know that episode... I don't think I do know. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) No, I'm saying you don't know the like what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. He that's a weird show though. Mm-hmm. It's a really weird Yeah, show. if you haven't seen it yet, don't go watch it. Don't ruin it before I tell you first. But definitely watch it at some point because it's wild. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, what did you think of today's story? Besides the fact that I threw you through a loop, apparently. You threw me for a loop. So here's here's what I'll say about it. Number one, you said like three or four words that I've never heard in my life, just new vocabulary. What? You're very Which smart. words? Just random words throughout there. I don't remember. Depravity? Them. Never heard of that. You have to. Austin, depravity. Are you serious? I don't know. Let's move on. I'm just telling you my recap of the episode. Oh, no. Number one, learn new words. Number two... You just, the only reason you threw me for a loop with the way you wrote it, because I always love the way you write them. And this, now once I tied it all together, yes, it was very well written. Okay. But the part that threw me for a loop is you painted this crazy, um, like, you put me in the moment of mm-hmm. being in this car that was going through this checkpoint and it had the same tires and everything. And you mm-hmm. were like, and what you had, I don't remember what you said, but you were like, and what happened? With this guy, threw them for a loop. Mm-hmm. 
And then I, so I'm like sitting here picturing this movie we're in, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what the hell happened. And then you went off telling me about the guy. So I think if you even would have said, and in the vehicle was Russell. And then you would have told me about (laughs) Russell because I'm like trying to picture what's going to happen. Like, does he, does he run? Does he tell him a fake name? And so then that's the only reason I got so thrown off. I don't know. Maybe somebody will relate to that. Maybe not. No, I'm sure somebody will. And I never thought of it that way as I was writing it. Um, So I do love hearing your feedback. That's why I have you on the show because you ask questions I don't think of to answer or you point out things that might be confusing that I didn't realize as I was writing it. But um, I guess... My point is, and I know most of you or at least some of you will get this, so I don't have to explain this, but the loop is that he's this highly decorated officer officer flying around the Queen yes. of England. He is piloting the plane, okay, in charge of her life. And yet he has this complete double life where he's breaking into homes and stealing women's underwear and putting it on and taking pictures of himself. Like, it's just, it's not what you would ever, ever, ever expect. No, I get it completely. It's just you painted such a picture. Yeah. Because you do a really good job of writing to where you, like, you put me in the situation. I think this is probably listeners can relate to this, to where you put us in the situation to where we're like picturing the situation happening. So Mm -hmm. when you said threw him for a loop, I'm like waiting for an event. I do try to be visceral and I didn't mean to be like that in my writing to paint this suspenseful picture. It was more so like, guys, Get ready for this, this guy shit. threw you through a loop. You would never suspect this man to be yeah. the guy who did this. Yeah, it was. But then once I, once I was patient enough to be quiet and get through it, <laughs> it was crazy. Like yes. just wild. So anyways, good job, babe. Thank you. Um, next week we will have our episode on Luca Magnata. We might come out with a mama minute in the meantime to talk about the show and how cool and fun that was. Um, anything else? Mama. Mr. <laughs> Out. Bye.